Trouble, and this is She Finds Joy. I've struggled with overcoming adversities throughout my life, feeling defeated and not having the confidence to go after what I wanted. But within every adversity, it can also sow the seed for something more in our lives. For me, that is teaching others to step into the arena of bigness, all while doing hard things and reaching for more joy and happiness along the way. I'm a truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach who believes in giving you the tools to create a life you love. Welcome to the zero fluff, no BS advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the She Finds Joy podcast. Again, just a little reminder before I introduce our guest, if you can pop over to the She Finds Joy free Facebook group. You're going to find that that's a place of inspiration where I'm doing a lot of well-being trainings, but I'm also doing a lot of real talk about everyday struggles that most of us are having in our lives. And so I would love to have you as a part of that group, and I just want to make you super aware of it. Okay, so today I have Dr. Nicole Calloway Rankins. She is a board certified practicing OBGYN and mom of two who empowers first time moms to feel supported and prepared for pregnancy and birth. Over the last 15 years, she's helped more than 1,000 babies come into this world. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and has demystified pregnancy and childbirth for thousands more women through her five-star rated All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast, which I was lucky enough to be on, and her free online birth class and her signature online program, The Birth Preparation Course. I'm going to drop her website and some of her social handles at the end of this podcast, but welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to dive into this. So, well, I... I have so many questions, but let's just start here. <laughs> How did you become an OBGYN? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've always been like an academically smart cookie, so to speak. So, so you're very I'm, left brain oriented, aren't yes, you? Yes. I actually majored in math and mechanical engineering when of I was in Of course you did. So, and then I had sort of a... Um, in, in between, so I did a three, I was three years at Spelman College, which is a historically black college for women in Atlanta. So three years at Spelman and two years, they had a joint program with, um, and I did my engineering degree at North Carolina A&T State University. In between that time, I studied abroad for a year in Kenya. So I lived in Kenya uh, for a year. And during that time, I sort of kind of got interested in medicine. I don't know what it was. It was just like a little bit of a plug. That's not like a seed that was planted in my head. And then when I got back and for a long time, I wouldn't even tell people this story, but I swear I was looking at myself in the mirror and I saw myself wearing a white coat. And I was like, I think I want to go to medical school. I'm going to go to medical school. And now here we are. And for OBGYN specifically, I always knew that I wanted to take care of women and I wanted to do something with my hands that involved like procedures. So it was like the combination of both. So, okay. I want to back up then. So is there a particular reason you chose to go to an all black college like Spelman? Yeah. So there's certainly something to, um, well, part of it is historically, my mother went to Hampton University, which is another um, historically black college, but there's something about being around 
people who are similar to you, who have similar experiences. There's nothing quite like going to an HBCU and getting that sort of baseline, um, just confidence and support and a whole environment that is designed around your experiences. Um, it's, it's magical really. Yeah. You know, I was just, do you know who, uh, Laura Cathcart Robbins is? She's mm-hmm. the host of the only one in the room podcast. Um, it's, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with it. Okay. It's this giant podcast and she's a woman of color and she talks about going to, um, she's a writer. So she's written articles for Huffington post and all of these different big time media outlets. And she went to a writer's conference with two of her like favorite people, um, Cheryl Strayed, who wrote Mm -hmm. Wild, Mm -hmm. and Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Uh Love. Right. And she said that that experience, she was one of about three people of color in the entire 200 or so that were there. And not only that, but they, um, you know, I'm sure it was a lack of education and everything, but basically she felt like the only one in the room because they had not censored and taken into consideration that people of color were at this conference. And so she explained how a white woman was up there joking about her son getting pulled over by the cops with no understanding of Mm -hmm. how difficult that is for a person of color. And so she created a podcast that is centered around you know, these times when we feel like we are the only one in the room. Mm. Um, And it really came from, you know, here she is at this writing retreat that she wants to be inspired and has followed these people. And they, they just did not have an understanding or whatever at that time. But um, of course, with today's times, we're, you know, as a white woman myself, I'm reading the books and, and trying to learn and educate myself about that. So I can certainly understand why you wanted to be around people that had that shared history with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So your mom, she went to college too. Yes. My mom is a, she taught math. She was a math teacher. She taught math for 50 years. Wow. <laughs> what about your dad? My dad did not go to college. He worked at UPS and just kind of old school, hard work, worked his way up into management. And then when they offered the option of early retirement, he was like, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) So so he, and they have been married now. Let me see. I'm 46. So they've been married for 57 years. Oh, wow. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Happily married, I guess. Happily married, for the most part. I mean, yeah. I, we all have our the, struggles. But yes, yes, yeah. for the most part, yeah. So I always just like to get to know people a little bit. And, and you must have been pretty adventurous and independent from a young age to go to Atlanta to school, then to go to North Carolina to school. And then you're like, I'm going to go to Kenya. I mean, this is not what <laughs> most people do. I want to understand, Nicole, who what was it about you at that early age that had this kind of, uh, whatever it is, this drive question. I don't know if I know a good answer to that for me, it's all because people have asked me that before. And for me, it's really like, I, it's almost like I can't not do the thing. Things just come up feels right. Then I like, 
I just follow that. Like the question of where will I be in five years or something? I can never answer that question because okay. I have no idea. So, so you just follow just, your instinct, you follow your soul mm-hmm. and you, mm-hmm. and so what did you do for a year in Kenya? Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that experience. Yeah. So we lived with, it was, it was college students from various colleges all over the country, but it was through a school called Kalamazoo College, which is in Michigan, I want to say, and they organized this program. So we all lived in this big house in Nairobi, and then we traveled in different parts of the country. We would go stay with families like uh, near Mombasa. We stayed with the family. Um, another part in the Western part of Kenya, we stayed with families and we just, we did, we went to school, we took classes at the university of Nairobi. So, um, it was just a nice experience. And then my parents and came to visit while I was there. And then on the way home, um, I went to Egypt for a week and then I went to, on the way home, I went to Egypt and then I went to London and then came home. And what was like, different about daily life? Like you lived with a family. Yeah, I think it was certainly a, the, probably the biggest realization is that a lot of, and understandably so like black people in America feel a connection to Africa and it's, but it's, it's actually where more of our ancestors are from West Africa. Um, and it was a very distinct realization that I am American. So, so um, even though obviously my ancestry is African and West, and I've done the ancestry DNA, it's primarily Nigerian actually, but um, I'm very distinctly American and people looked at me like I was American. <laughs> so, and I'm totally comfortable with that. Like there's not anything wrong with that, but I am, I am American. So I think in some ways it helped me to have a bit more of a, pride and realization and understanding of my ancestors contribution to this country and very much feeling ownership of it. Were you surrounded by a lot of poverty over there? Yes. That the, the, on a whole nother level that uh, it's really hard to describe. So 100%, a lot of, a lot of poverty. Mm -hmm. And, and were they suffering a lot as a result of that poverty? I don't know. I I think that's some, maybe some people were, um, but a lot of people were happy and did a lot with very little. So, yeah, because, you know, a lot of the research has actually found that some of the people from the poorest countries are the happiest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. So fascinating. It's because I think they have the, the relationship piece, the family piece really down maybe, um, in place. I I don't know. I I've read a lot about it, but Okay. Well, I had to just go there because when you brought up that interesting story, um, so you're this OBGYN Mm -hmm. and tell me what a typical work week looks like for you. Yeah. So I work as an OB hospitalist, which is a little bit different. So I work on, this is a fairly new specialty of medicine where the comparison comparison, they have like internal medicine hospitalists, they have OB hospitalists. Those are the two biggest hospitalist categories, meaning we only work in the hospital. So I do 24 hour shifts at a time and I take care of whoever is there while I'm there. For my particular hospitalist group, we are essentially an extension of the private practices that are in the community. So in the evening and on the weekends, they turn over care of their patients to us. So for them, they don't come in at night or on the weekends, we're, we're there. 
And for us, I have that flexibility. I work seven 24 hour shifts every uh, 28 days. And then I have the flexibility and freedom to do other things like be there for my children's events and things like that, um, have a podcast and all those kinds of things. So, yeah. Yes. And, and so I'm going to get into that too, be, because you have this whole, like, you know, you have these programs, you work with women, but this would be outside of your job at the hospital, correct? Correct. Completely separate from my job at the hospital. Although obviously the content is related, but completely separate. Okay. So, cause it's not like somebody has you as their doctor and you walk them through yeah, the no. whole nine months of a pregnancy. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, one, that's one of the disadvantages of being a hospitalist is that I don't have that continuity anymore. Right. But I, but I still am able to pretty quickly establish rapport. And I think, I hope provide very great experiences for um, women when they give birth. Yes. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Okay. So tell me why birth experiences and and creating a podcast all around this is so important to you. What's the backstory to that? Yeah. So I definitely had an evolution as a, as a physician and understanding how we don't take great care of birthing people in our country and don't center them in the experience. I mean, certainly as a resident and I did residency, I love my residency training program. I did residency at Duke. It's a, it's a rigorous program. And in many ways at that time, it was very traditional in medicine in the sense that, you know, there's a bit of a hierarchy. We would like roll our eyes at birth plans and not really understanding that we really should be centering this, this person in this, in this experience. And then just over time, just probably as part of my own personal growth and development, realizing this is not right. Like there's something that's not right about what we're doing. And then just shifting and realizing that we really need to put the birthing person at the center of the experience. Like that is how it should be. Um, And just coming, just even little realizations, like, it hadn't occurred to me to do things like ask before I did a vaginal exam. Not that I was ever mean, but it's sort of a scenario would be like, Hey, I'm Dr. Rankins. I'm here to check your cervix. Okay. Um, put your ankles together. Just let your legs relax out. Just kind of talking through without even being nice, without stopping and saying, Hey, is it okay if we do this thing? Like, let's discuss this. Let's talk about it. So just coming to that shift in that realization was really meaningful me. So part of it is empowering. And I I will say an instance where a patient, I said, is it okay? You know, if I check your cervix and see how dilated it is. And she asked me, do I have a choice? That really stuck with me Mm. because I want every person, every woman, especially to know that you have a choice about what happens in your own body, Mm. like 100% always. So the podcast kind of grew out of like, I initially started a blog and we can talk about how my evolution, I started like health coaching was something that I got interested in. That was a little bit challenging for me. And I started a blog and I was writing. It's like, Oh, my type a, it has to be perfect. And, you know, so that was taking too long. And then I myself was a lover of listening to podcasts. So I listened to them and then I don't know, something was like, can I start a podcast? And then I just looked and it's really not that difficult to start at all. The barrier is pretty low. You got to keep it up. That's the harder part, but starting it is really not that bad. And then like, it just kind of 
grew. And then the childbirth education class was a result of me seeing what I saw and the lack of knowledge and being able to add my own level of knowledge expertise as a physician who's been in practice for a long time has evolved to a better supportive way. And um, just like really my, my passion and purpose is to be of service. Mm -hmm. So that's where I come from 100%. You know, I have a wonderful OBGYN, Dr. Kristen Werney. And when you were talking about, um, you know, I guess this used to be kind of called bedside manner, so to Mm -hmm. speak, but she will, Oh, she, it's amazing how she talks to me just one-on-one woman to woman, I never, ever fear, uh, feel a sense of superiority or that she's in a rush or she doesn't have time to make a little small talk. And she'll do that exact thing. Like now, Kim, I'm going to, you know, move this over and I'm going to, is, you know, is it okay if I, she, she says that, is it okay if I touch your breast, you know? And it's amazing how comforting it feels when you are asked that. Um, and then she's always also asking about, you know, how, how do you feel, um, in, in your life? Do you have lots of energy? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling stressed? Like, I love that she kind of has this holistic approach, which really reminds me of what you're on a mission to do is to really support the individual holistically 100%. as they go through this. Yeah. And, and I will say like part of me wanting to have a more visible presence online is, is that we don't, we haven't, <laughs> I should say like, there's a lot of bad press and some of it is warranted obviously about what happens in obstetrics. And I didn't feel like there was a a presence of the good, the good side. Like some of us are really are doing good, you know, want to treat people well. So being able to say like, you may have to look, you may have to go for, go at different places, but I promise you there are people out there who, who want to do the right thing and Mm. treat you well. So empowering people with information so that they can find that better supportive care is certainly part of what I do as well. You know, Oprah always said that you have to advocate for your own health care. You have to advocate for your own health. 100%. So I want to know you have two children. I do. Tell me about them. Age. What are they? 11 and 13. Boys, girls, two girls. Okay. What was it like for you to give birth to them? (laughs) So I'm chuckling, but my first one, um, she was, I was nervous. I was a nervous Nelly. Like I have a baseline, a little bit of anxiety anyway. So I was really nervous during my first pregnancy. And then the one time that I wasn't nervous going to an ultrasound appointment was when we found out that she had, um, with a congenital malformation. So where her intestines weren't connected together, it happens in like one in 10,000 pregnancies, something called duodenal atresia. So it was like, she was going to have to have surgery after birth. Sometimes it's associated with chromosome issues. So I had amniocentesis, chromosomes were fine, you know, so that put me at rest. We met with the pediatric surgeon who's like, okay, most of the time, you know, you just, you have your baby, they get the surgery, they get it fixed a couple days after birth, they're in the hospital for like a week and then no problems, you know, they're, they're doing fine. So we felt like, okay, like we got through that hurdle. And then I ended up going into labor earlier. So she, I had a preterm delivery at 32 weeks. So eight weeks early, I just went into labor and then I had a C-section and for my C-section, the anesthesia was not working properly. And I could feel uh, what 
Yeah. When they, they, we do a little test where you clamp and see if you can feel, and I was like, I can feel that. So my husband, I've told this story on my, my podcast. I tell it, you know, I could, I was holding my husband's hand and he, I was just like clutching his, I'm not a loud sort of screamer person. So he said, I was just clutching his hand so tight. And then I remember they gave me, and you know, I understand what's going on because I'm an obstetrician. So they gave me something through the IV and I was just like, Oh God, you just gave me some drugs or something, you know? So that was the experience of having a first child. And then she had surgery after she was born. She spent a month in the NICU. Um, and then like having, <laughs> you, you just look on your face. It's like, are you serious? Right. It's like, yes, this really did all happen. Um, she's totally fine now. And after once she got home, she was fine, but there was definitely some anxiety of adjusting to, you know, catching up and the milestones and having a preterm baby. And then I would freak out if she ever spit up. Cause yes. it's like, is something wrong with the, her surgery? And I was going to um, say like, does, okay. So I have a que- couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Go for Did it. This particular incident shape how you show up as a physician today. Oh, hundred percent. Number one, I will never, if somebody is saying they are uncomfortable or they are hurting in a C-section, that's like hard stop because I've been on the other side. So that for sure, definitely. I don't always share that I've had a preterm baby. It just kind of depends on the report, but certainly people find it relatable that if I, I, when I can say I have been through this and I understand what it's like to have a baby that's born early and there is a, another side to it, it's hard and it's not anything that you ever forget. And I cried, I cried every day when she was in the hospital and probably about, I, I, I eventually limited myself probably about halfway through her stay. I limited myself to like, I, I can cry three times a day. So it was like, that was my way of like, just, get your three in and, you know, then next, save it for next day to kind of get through the stress of having a preterm baby and all of those kinds of things. So, um, I definitely share that with people, how hard and overwhelming it, it can be. So absolutely it has shaped me. Hey everyone, I'm interrupting this podcast episode because I want to talk briefly just to the teachers who are all listening in. I heard a phrase from a superintendent back in January who said, my teachers are June tired and have been for most of last school year. I know that educator burnout is very real. Between preparing today's children for tomorrow, the challenges of delivering education during a pandemic, all while juggling virtual, remote, and in-person learning, the demands of education are so very heavy. I don't know how, folks, but somehow our jobs became even harder. Burnout can look like teachers leaving work feeling defeated. It can look like working nights and weekends just to keep up. And it can also look like irritability and having nothing left over for your own family which is why I would love to do a back-to-school keynote for your teachers. I'm determined to help schools overcome burnout by taking control of their happiness with simple habits that help you create a work-life balance. I also created a set of mini courses that you can take online, maybe over the summer, to help you learn to take care of you. Be sure to check these out in the show notes at strobeleducation.com forward slash 
online courses. And if you'd like to book a keynote, you can simply go to stroboleducation.com forward slash speaking. Just know teachers that I see you, I feel you, and I'm rooting for you. You ever, I mean, I'm somebody who has kind of a spiritual beliefs and wonder if certain things are just divinely supposed, we're supposed to experience to shape our mission and our work. 100%. I feel like my, and I mean, I ask for that guidance and a belief, even the, sometimes it's hard to see in the valleys that Mm-hmm. Those things are, are, I know you're like, I don't want that. I don't want this. Lesson. <laughs> right. I don't want this. <laughs> and I do try and say, you know, I believe in the God or the universe or whatever. We'll throw pebbles. And then if you don't listen, you're going to get a rock and then a brick and then a boulder until you hear. Yes. So I try not to get to the boulder. Phase. <laughs> I try to yes. listen sooner now. Well, so. and you know, my, my birth story, um, you know, a little bit about it from your podcast, but you know, I was in, um, a difficult situation. I was headed for divorce. My Mm -hmm. husband and I slept together once in nine months and I got pregnant and it was just a really difficult emotional pregnancy because I really didn't feel like I was going to be, you know, who, and I grew up in a Catholic family and you, you know, who, who wants to bring a baby into this world with, with divorced parents. And it was, I was very alone in my pregnancy and, and I chose to be because I knew I was disconnected from my spouse, but get this. I had, he was born 10 days early. He was nine pounds and he came so fast that I went from three centimeters to nine centimeters in about 10 minutes. Is that even possible? That's the thing. We don't know. I always say we don't know anything about birth. The the human body is capable of anything. Yes, it is possible. And for some people they're like, Oh my God, that's great. But that can feel really overwhelming. Well, yeah. I mean, the nurse, what I remember is feeling the intense urge to push because your body's doing that. And she literally Mm -hmm. had her hand inside of me, holding him in until the doctor got there. Mm. And then I was over there going, Hey, what about that big needle you're supposed to put in my back? You know, what about the epidural? And they're like, Oh honey, you've missed the window. And I'm like, no, no, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And so I think like I, what, maybe that was God's way of like, he gifted me a fairly easy birth because I had had other trauma going on in my life, but um, yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know how big he was my first, so who knows how big he would have been if he was full term, but, (laughs) um, so then did, so did you have anxiety going into your second pregnancy? Oddly enough, I was very calm. Um, the second time I felt like if we, we got through the first thing we, we did fine. Our daughter's fine. And I didn't, I felt very calm and relaxed during the second pregnancy. And it was, um, it was easy pregnancy. I never enjoyed like physically the feeling. The only thing I liked about being pregnant was like feeling the baby move. Other than that, like the I, I like I had a, I was huge I had all carried all huge it was like my belly was huge and my butt got even bigger and I already have a big butt and it was like <laughs> that's it like the self the physical piece I never liked but the yeah. kicking it, that was the only thing I liked but it was an easy pregnancy but the thing that around. absolutely shocked me was when your milk comes in I was like 
I did not know my boobs could get like this gigantic and yes. this full. Like I, it was crazy. <laughs> like I loved being pregnant. I, I really did. I was one of those, even like I, regardless of the circumstances, like I, I was the opposite of you, right? Like I just loved the whole thing. Right. Um, right. Um, it's so interesting. I think it's good for our listeners to hear that it's okay to not like you know, being a pregnant. Absolutely. So yes. You love the end product, but sometimes the process isn't great. When, as you're, so you, you're also an integrative health coach. Tell me what that even means. Yeah. So I went back to um, Duke to get trained as a certified integrative health coach. And really health coaching is just a way to help people form healthy habits in a way that lasts. So an integrative piece, meaning it takes into account all areas of your life. So not just your physical health, but your emotional, how your relationships affect your health, your finances can affect your health, your physical environment can affect your health, how all of those things come together in order to influence your health. So certainly many of the foundational elements that I learned there, I bring into my work with my childbirth education class and with the podcast and things like that. And so when someone enrolls in your, your childbirth preparation course, Mm -hmm. tell me what that even looks like. Yeah. So I don't do any like one-to-one coaching anymore or specific or offer like specific coaching services. It's more than just the skills that I've learned kind of permeate through what I, what I do. So if you enroll in my course, it's completely online. When you enroll, you see all the lessons, everything's there. It's about 10 hours um, of, of content for the course. And then there's a Facebook group that goes along with the course where I answer questions and there's more engagement there, but the course itself is like all there pre-recorded, that kind of thing. And you can start at any time. You can start at any time. Yeah. So if I have a pregnant mother listening to this podcast right now, and she's like, I, I, I want, I want to find this, where can she yes. find it? Yeah. She can go to my website, drnicolerankins.com. Um, and it is, everything is there. And I will link that in the show notes. Now, mm-hmm. when, as you work with women, what do you find that most women are struggling with as mothers? I especially, I I have a soft spot for first time moms, especially, but it's really just the fear of giving birth. Like people are, people are terrified of giving birth. I have a theory on this. (laughs) Go for it. The theory is, is that our mothers told us terrible stories, which maybe were true back then of how painful it was. Right, right, right. And then you don't, really see the depiction depictions on TV are all fake and in the movies and stuff. You don't really know what to expect. You don't know what real birth looks like. So the biggest thing I find is that people are just afraid of giving birth because they're fearful of the pain associated with it. Fearful of the pain. Just, I think a lot of it is just the fear of unknown and Mm not, and some people just have a fear of like, can I, can I do this? you know, can I even yes. do this? Yeah. Now, what are you going to say to, cause I have a lot of moms who listen, who have young children and they are just, they just, they're just so overwhelmed and they really are struggling with their role. I think as partner, as wife, as mother. And so what are your thoughts on like okay, I mean, I'm kind of being the devil's advocate here, but are we just supposed to suck it up for the next 18 years and be like, Hey, this is what parenting is. Absolutely not. So (laughs) I want you to talk on that. So 
I, you know, myself struggle with this. Um, you know, I was, I still practice full-time as an obstetrician and then starting this business and having two children and a husband who I adore. Um, you know, he was like, this, this, this is not going to work. So <laughs> we got to do something to, cause you're, you're spending so much of your time, like in the business and things like that. So number one, I would say is ask for help wherever you can get help if you can. So for me, I have like an assistant. Um, he does a tremendous amount of things. And part of it is like not wanting to feel like I can't do all the things, but I can't do all the things. So in our household, he, he gets our girls ready for school. Most mornings he takes them to school. Um, he picks them up from school. He enjoys it. So, and so he's very helpful in that regard. This is the assistant, right? No, this is my husband who does. Oh, this. okay. The husband. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's my... kind of doing some of those things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and he, we kind of split cooking, um, responsibilities. He's the better cook, but, yes. <laughs> but he helps out. And then my assistant does, honestly, I, I love her. She's like, my job is to make your life easier. So <laughs> like, that's what you're paying me for. So she takes on so many things in the, within the business. And it's not a ton right now. We're about 40 hours a month. So it's not like overwhelming, but it's enough that it gives me breathing room for sure. And then just setting boundaries and realizing that it is not just okay, but necessary for me to take time for myself. Is it reasonable to say that every woman should take time every single day for herself? I think that's very reasonable. I do too. Like very reasonable. And it doesn't have to be a lot and you shouldn't feel guilty. Like I felt guilty because like my, like I said, my husband gets the girls ready for school in the morning. And then I just felt like, well, what I felt guilty because I actually use that time and I work out. Like that's when I work out. That's when I do my yoga in the morning. And I, and I felt like, well, I should feel bad because I'm not like getting in. And it's like, he's like, I'm okay with it. So you should be okay yeah. with it. Just you know what that out. is? It's a social script that, that it's a belief system that is in us as women that says, you're not a good mom if you're not doing all the things, even though it's not a hundred years ago when that was your sole job, you know? Exactly. And the other thing that I love hearing you say is it, I mean, it's obvious that, that you're an intellectual um, driven career driven woman. And that that part of you is very important as well. You are a, a high achiever, so to speak. 100%. Yes. Yeah. And so figuring out a way how to honor that part of you while also figuring out which pieces your family gets, which pieces your girls get, which pieces you get. And, and how do we, so I really encourage women to take time every day for themselves, but here's what they say, Kim, I just feel so guilty. I just feel so guilty. Do you have any tips for them for overcoming that guilt? I want to see what you think about that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's hard. Other than just, you, you really just have to believe that that you are worthy of it. And that when you do that, you actually bring your best self to the rest of what you have going on in your life. Like the whole filling your cup first is so true. (laughs) You, you can't be present in all of the other areas without really taking care of yourself. So it's actually, it's not, it's not selfish at all. It is, 
it's necessary and it'll help you in the long run to be a better version in all of the roles in your life that you play. Yes, I agree. And I tell people like, here's what you need to know. You're going to feel uncomfortable when you start Mm -hmm. to do this because Mm -hmm. it's not the new normal for you. So I tell them, feel the anxiety, feel the guilt, and then do it anyway. Exactly. 100%. And keep doing that over and over again. And then You know, the other thing I always think about is we have to really think about what we're modeling for our own daughters who are watching how we mother. Yes. And this is really important. This is something that I, I actually have involved my girls in explaining to them, like I'm doing this online business and I'm building this thing. And I'm like, Hey girls, I have a sale this weekend. I have this project this weekend. Here's what I'm working on. Here's here are ways that you can help support me or I would love for your support in this. And they like to be involved. They like to know they support, they will call me on like, did you do such and such? Cause you know, so That's involving them in the process has been really lovely. And explaining it so that they know, I told a fairly young mother one time, I said, you know, do you want your girls to grow up and have had a mommy who models that she loves herself enough to know that she counts to 100. Yeah. Yeah. Or do you, you know, want to constantly kind of model this? Well, you have to just give everything up as you become a mother and, and you become depressed and reason. I always say like <laughs> most women who are like older than 60 are depressed, angry, resentful women, because they never knew they got to, they counted along the way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Fantastic. So, well, I just, I love how you want to, it's almost as if through your course and your program, you're trying to help expectant mothers consider all of these different pieces in their life and bringing them together for like this, this whole beingness, this well-beingness and taking care and advocating for themselves. I feel like that is such an important message. And 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So this podcast is called She Finds Joy. So Mm -hmm. I would like to know, Nicole, how are you reaching for more joy in your life right now? And what does that look like? That's a good question. So I have definitely, you know, I used to feel like I had to be when on my days when I'm not at the hospital and, and it takes me even, you know, I work 24 hours and then I have to recover the next day. And the older I get, the longer it takes to recover. (laughs) So so I would try to like pack things in and schedule things. But now like I, I have backed away from that. Like my theme for 20, one of my words for 2021 is ease. Like this does not have to be difficult. I'm, I'm not just, I'm not, in, I'm just not doing it. So it's going ease. I always remind myself has to, you know, ease. That's how it should be. That's how it can be. Like, so I aim to get to my desk roughly nine o'clock. So I, I work out in the mornings when I'm not, you know, I do yoga. I love yoga. So I usually do yoga in the morning. So I work out. Um, I try to shut down. I'll actually pretty consistently. I shut, I would work at night and things like that. I stop and I just literally will just close the computer after dinner, like this, where you're not going to open it. Just keep, and it's a work in progress. I'm better some days than others, but overall I'm doing, doing well, shut it down, realizing that it can wait. Like it, it really can wait. And then being intentional about giving myself some joy also means like just space to do nothing sometimes. Yes. <laughs> like, 
I love that. I love the word ease too. Like just mm-hmm. the word feels light. It just, what a great reminder mm-hmm. that you are allowed to have ease in your life. Yes. Yes. 100%. Yes. So just, those are the things that, that, that bring me joy. And of course there's, you know, as a corollary to that, spending more time with my family, more quality time, we're all like trying to back down from our devices and things like that. (laughs) So all of it kind of connects together for sure. Yeah. Where can people find you? I know you gave the website, drnicolerankins.com and we'll link that, but are you on social media as well? I am. And I'm on uh, Instagram is the place where I am the most. And I'm there at Dr. Nicole Rankins also. Okay. And we'll, but I'm everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Dr. Nicole Rankins, but the place I'm most active is Instagram. And I don't feel like we can in this episode without giving a shout out to your husband. What's his first name? Falcon, like the bird. Falcon. Okay. Let's just give a shout out to Falcon and maybe he can create a class for men. (laughs) (laughs) who can learn to be very, it sounds like he's so good at sharing parental responsibility. I have to say he is wonderful. I am, I have an amazing husband. Yes. So he, this is needed in our world. He's he's very much like, this is just what has to be done. And we're just going to jump in and do it. And if part of it is, I have to do this, then, you know, this is almost like he's honoring your mission in this life as well as such a supportive partner to, to help you be able to serve all that you want to with ease. 100%. Yes, for Uh, sure. For sure. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. I, I've loved this conversation. I love your realness and uh, it's just been a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a joy talking to you and I can't wait to, until your episode airs on my podcast. I know. We'll have to (laughs) see if they come out the same time. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me on the She Finds Joy show today. I'm so honored that you chose to listen to this episode. As always, this conversation will be continued in my free private Facebook group called She Finds Joy. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other people just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we drop a new episode every other Wednesday. So make sure you subscribe Go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to kimstrobel.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcast where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down just a little bit, you can leave a five-star review and write a few sentences letting me know what you thought. It's so very important to get people to leave a review for my podcast. The reviews help me get higher on the iTunes list, and that will show up when people are searching for a new podcast, and it will really help us get new subscribers. So if I could ask one little favor for you just to go to kimstrobel.com forward slash review, give us a review and give us a comment and let us know what's been helpful. Thank you so much for listening in. I am really honored to be a part of this community with you.